0: It's great to see you all this morning. Gosh, there is nothing, although the years I've been in this church, um, I can safely say I just love to worship the Lord here. To be amongst you all and to worship the living God is just a highlight of my week, week after week. It is the most precious thing and the Spirit of God falls. It is absolutely awesome. So we find ourselves in the season of Advent, and today we mark the first Sunday of Advent as we journey towards Christmas. And as we journey over the next few weeks towards Christmas, what we're doing is we're preparing for Christ to come. We're readying ourselves for the arrival of Jesus on this earth, for his coming in a human form. First coming as the infant, mewling and puking, surrounded by cows and sheep and donkeys, and the the smell of birth and stable. And whilst his arrival may have been heralded, heralded by heavenly choirs, the remarkable thing about this particular baby was that he was divine. The divine son of the living God and yet, horrifyingly, human at the same time. And so, as we journey towards Christmas this year, as we prepare for his coming this year, it's worth pausing to consider some of the major players in this greatest drama of all time. The very point when, as C.S. Lewis once said, the author of the whole of history steps upon the stage and so this morning, I want to talk about the beautiful Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus, and ask what can we discover about this amazing woman? So, Lord, we come before you this morning. We thank you that your presence is here. We thank you, God, for this story. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that you are who you say you are. And we give you the glory, Lord. Come by your power this morning. Come by your might. And do your thing, Lord God. Amen. So she was, of course, one of the key players of the whole drama. But over the years, people have done the strangest things with the person of Mary. She's been painted and carved and depicted in stained-glass windows more oddly and more often than any other woman. Let me show you an example. Here we have a familiar image of the Virgin and Child painted by Giovanni Bellini, somewhere around the middle of the 15th century in Venice. And it's beautiful and typical of anything that anyone's ever thought about this woman. She's always wearing blue, She's always looks beatific, she's always white, she's always Western, and she never seems to be at least a bit rattled, which is pretty hard to associate with any young mother. But this is how she's always shown. And the truth is that she's been done a terrible disservice over the years, because over the centuries, people have veered in opposite directions. Either they superhumanize her, venerating it in a way that the Bible has never encouraged us to do, or they dismiss her entirely, reacting, of course, against the excesses and the overemphasises of all the others. For generations, people have slandered this poor woman. They've denied her revelation. They've questioned her. They've maligned her. They've minimized her experience. And they've always struggled with the doctrine of the virgin birth. But in my humble view, Mary was a most remarkable young girl and a wonderful, wonderful woman used by God to help in the changing and the making of history. So what's not to love about her? If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke 1. They are familiar words, but I hope we're going to look at them in such a way that brings a fresh life to them. Can I use this water, darling? Or is that James's water? Do you have you any water? I've just got a little huh? It could be poisoned. Oh thanks. <laughs> okay, verse twenty six. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. You'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angels. since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. Then the angel left her. So what was it about the Virgin Mary? Well, the first thing was that she was very ordinary. In verse 27, we read, A virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Dead ordinary. ordinary. And by the way, we're told in the verse before that she lived in Nazareth, which was a small village in Galilee. And so we're given the time and we're given the place and we're given the historical grounding to this story. No frills, no whistle, no bells, just ordinary. And God loves the ordinary. God can do anything with the ordinary. With the ordinary, nothing is impossible for him. God loves the ordinary and Mary is the all-time model of ordinariness. Someone once asked St. Francis of Assisi how it was that he could accomplish so much. And this is maybe why he said, the Lord looked down from heaven and asked, where can I find the weakest, the smallest, meanest man on earth? And then he saw me, said Francis. And God said, I have found him. I'll work through him. He won't become proud of it. He'll see that I'm only using him because of his insignificance, because of his ordinariness. Let me show you another painting. It's a painting by a man called Fra Angelico, who was actually a monk originally. As he painted this on the walls of San Marco in Florence, it's a very well-known painting and a well-loved one of the angel coming to the Virgin Mary, who again is painted in blue and looking pure. And it was painted in the middle of the 15th century. And can you see that Mary sat in a garden and around the garden is a fence. And in the Middle Ages, a fence with no, ga- a fence with no gate and a wall with no door was an illustration of virginity. This woman was undoubtedly the Virgin Mary. And when first we read about Mary, when the angel came to her, she would have been very young. She would have been a teenager. And at this point, we stop thinking about Fra Angelico and start thinking about one of the teenage girls in our youth group. Start thinking hordes of teenage girls in Wimbledon High Street, any, of any afternoon in the school week, Wimbledon High, Ursuline, Rickards Lodge, Hall. Mary was just typically ordinary teenage girl. A couple of years ago, Neil and I went to see a remarkable production of The Messiah at the Colosseum. And it was incredibly modern. And it was dramatized. And the Virgin Mary was introduced to us as a teenage girl, sat on her bed texting. And that's absolutely right. That's what she was. She was sweet and pure. She was godly. She was probably probably completely uneducated, but she was a teenage girl, and she was engaged. Or as it says in the scriptures, she was betrothed to a man who was probably very much older, probably widowed, certainly worthy, and who was the village carpenter. Not the big, biggest barrels of glass for a girl of 15 or so. However, he was a remarkable man, and she was betrothed to him. Now, betrothal was a very serious thing in those days. It was a solemn pledge brought by two families coming together that couldn't be broken and was as binding as marriage, not to go ahead and marry. They would formally have to divorce. And the only grounds for divorce would have been adultery. And so, if Mary had been found to have had sex before marrying, it would have been considered adultery, and she would have, would have been divorced. So Mary's virginity was central to this story, the, umbre- the unbreached fence, and it was prominent part of a betrothal contract. So for Mary to come to the wedding bed, not a virgin, would have meant a betrayal of Joseph and would have brought dishonor for an entire family and to herself. And I'm only telling you this so that you realize how shocking what was told her. And we read a little bit in Matthew when it talks about Joseph's part in all this. The poor man, I mean, worthy village carpenter. He did not sign up for this sort of shock. Matthew 1.18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, which means before they had sex with one another, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, a righteous and good and godly man, shaken to the core, however, and did not want to expose to public disgrace he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. And you'll remember the story. An angel appeared to him and said to him, Joseph, this is all right. What is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Hang on in there. It will be okay. And historically speaking, this goodness of this man and the sweetness of this girl Quite literally, changed history, and they are to be most commended. So, she was this very ordinary girl, and I like her response. How can this be, since I am a virgin? Here she is, talking to the angel Gabriel, no less, or sort of saying, I think you must have dropped in on the wrong house. And it was a fair question. And it was probably for her more a point of clarification than a crisis of faith. When the angel came, she was no more than a child of her age, texting in her bedroom. Mary was very ordinary. But on the other hand, she was at the same time incredibly special. Mary was very special. The angel went to her, verse 28, and we read, the angel went to her and he said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, he said to her. You have found favour with God. Let's take a look at another painting another famous and probably familiar depiction of the angel coming to Mary, the Leonardo da Vinci's Annunciation. And Gabriel is kneeling in the garden of the Virgin Mary, and there's this respectable distance between them both. As Mary receives the news, sitting at a reading desk, in his left hand the angel holds a lily, a symbol of Mary's purity, the right hand raised in greeting. While the young Mary, presented in a three-quarter view, appears to be, to be shrinking away from the angel, her body towards the viewer. Now, sometimes people will say of the Virgin Mary that she was blessed. The blessed Virgin Mary, you will hear people call her. And many of us, of a more Pentecostal persuasion, sometimes have a slight problem with that. But I would like to say to you that the word blessed is a wonderful, wonderful word. And it's the word that we need to reinstate. Her cousin Elizabeth, when Mary shared the news of her, said, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And later, as the realization of the extraordinary truth began to sink in, Mary said to herself, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Luke 1, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed and the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And this word blessed it's a slightly strange word. It's one we t- tend to react against. It's a word that carries with it a lot of baggage. It feels too religious. It's sort of super spiritual and a sickly sweet at all the same time. But it is a wonderful word. And we would be wise to not dismiss it too lightly. We are not to skate Over the enormity of God's favour. Because that's what it means. To be blessed is to be happy. To be happy is to be fulfilled. And fulfilled is to be favoured by God. And that's what Mary was. She was favoured by God. I should be so lucky, she might have said. And we don't use that word of Mary, the blessed. Virgin Mary, just because tradition does, but because the scripture does, over and over again. And the glorious truth, honestly, is that anyone who knows and loves God, anyone who knows themselves to be a recipient of his blessing, his favour, his kindness, anyone who can wake up in the morning And know who they are, what they're for, is blessed indeed. Anyone who knows that God is in charge of the news is favored. Anyone who can look out at all the things going on in the world and know that God has not lost the plot, and that God's hand is on the tiller of the world, and that I and you are his child, he is our creator. He he runs the universe. He sits on the only throne that there is to be occupied. And yet, he cares about you. And he cares about you and he cares about me. And he knows everything there is to know about us all. And he loves us completely. Completely. Not a little. All. He loves us. That's what makes me know that I'm favoured, that you're favoured, that I'm blessed of God. So Mary, on the other hand, was ordinary, and yet on the other was quite extraordinary. She was very, very special. But the shocking truth is that she was no more special than you or I. Did you get that? She's no more special than you or I. In the eyes of the Lord, she was no more special than you. She was chosen for a task, and she was willing to fulfill it. And so am I, and so are you. She, of course, was singled out in the whole of history to carry the Lord of heaven and of earth in her womb. But she was very ordinary, and she was very special. And thirdly, she was ready Mary was ready to respond. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me. May your word to me be fulfilled. In another version, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. For any of us, this has to be one of the key verses in the New Testament. I am the Lord's servant. I am no more, I am no less. May it be to me as you have said. It's not resignation. It's the most wonderful position to find oneself. So this sweet, ordinary, straightforward, Galilean teenage girl who was prepared to put herself in God's hands, her response was perfect. She will stand throughout the ages as a model of faith. And the impact of her faithfulness changes the destiny of the human race forever. C.S. Lewis wrote this about the Virgin Mary and God's plan through it all. The whole thing, he wrote, narrows and narrows until at last it comes down to a little point. Small as the point of a spear, a Jewish girl at her prayers. So Mary was sent a sage in a world history for only a very short time. And we know relatively very little about her. But how many women get taught about this much? How many get taught about almost exclusively in terms of their virginity and the circumstances of their giving birth? What Philip Yancey calls nine months of awkward explanation and the lingering scent of scandal. It would appear that God's plan, which of course is what we celebrate all throughout Advent, had him arranging the most humiliating circumstances possible for his entrance into human history. As if to avoid any charge of favoritism. And so the birth of Jesus was nothing if not humble, messy, uncomfortable, inconvenient, Undignified, strangely public. And there it was for that time, a remarkable level of disclosure. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became a human being, he played by the rules and there were the harsh rules of reality. And Mary, his mother, was the first person of all to experience Jesus on his own terms, regardless of the personal cost to herself. So think of that next time you see a statuette or a stained glass window or a painting of the Virgin Mary. I am the Lord's servant, she said. May it be to me as you have said. And I wonder how many times she would review the words of the angel when he had said, as the months went by and her pregnancy began to show and the feet of the living God kicked against the walls of her womb. But her response was, Lord, I'm yours. God, anything you say, I'm willing to do whatever you want. She would work to his plan and look where it took her. Look at the risk of it all. Giving birth in a trough that was designed for cattle feed. Moved on as a refugee living in a foreign land within days of the birth caring for a baby in whom she much had, had been invested. She was the all-time self-effacing mother. Later in her life, she was numbered among the disciples and served alongside them. She didn't claim special privileges or rights. She waited outside the door until Jesus had time to talk to her. She pointed to the Lord and not to herself. "'Do whatever he tells you,' she said to the disciples." She suffered unspeakably un- and unimaginably at the cross, as she watched her son being crucified. She was in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. <gasps> How extraordinary! Her very stage over the years, she responded readily at the plans and the purposes of God. And these plans and purposes of God is a model to us all. She took her place. She played her part. She served faithfully. And not as some mindless, subservient, doormat servant. There is nothing finer, nothing more dignified, nothing more elevated, nothing more honoring or attractive than being a servant when it's the Lord God Almighty we are serving. And that's what Mary did. And that's why she's a model of inspiration. And how do we do that? Mary served the Lord by carrying Jesus quite literally, physically, through her pregnancy. But we, we all carry him too. Going where he might have gone, talking to the people he might have talked to, Being kind. Carrying him into our homes and our streets and our offices. Just small acts of kindness. In the little things. In the small acts of kindness, it's the stopping for people. It's the befriending people. It's the being kind, just taking time, just doing what we would do. We can all do the little things. Caring for our friends, praying for the sick going to the lonely, looking out for people over Christmas who don't have people around them and who dread Christmas. So many of us are all excited and eager about Christmas carols and Christmas dinner and Christmas drinks, parties and Christmas presents. Fantastic. But also there are so many, many people who are just dreading the next few weeks. And so more than ever, it's, a time for us to be kind because God's ultimate plan for this world is that men, women and children throughout the earth should know him as Jesus and make him known and he wants to use us to do that I am the Lord's servant said Mary let me show you one final picture I hope you can see it because it's quite a dark one it's a painting by Carrie Veggio called The Madonna de Loreto. Sounds like an ice cream, but it's not. Madonna de loreto I probably said it wrong. And it shows Mary having given birth to Jesus, holding him up and presenting him to her neighbours. And in this case, it's the humble villagers with their bare, dirty feet. Now... I can't think of any young mother who, just given birth, looks anything like that. But the point is this. Mary is bearing Jesus before the people. She's holding him up. She's introducing her neighbors to Jesus. And that's all we've been asked to do. To carry Jesus with us wherever we go, and to introduce him to the people we meet, to hold him up to our friends and to our families, to our neighbors and to our colleagues. This sweet, godly young girl, who at the same time as being very ordinary was incredibly special. And very ready to respond to the call of God on her life. And this Advent, and in this Advent season, what is God calling us to? What is God saying to you? Why don't you stand